Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We'll continue with the fifth of the series of messages dealing with the second coming of the Lord. Just read three verses. Our comments from those verses, but I want you to hold your Bible there. We're going to be all the way from Isaiah to Revelation before the evening's over. Quite a number of passages that I think we need to to actually hear, comprehend what the Lord is actually saying to us here in Matthew of just three verses. And the scripture that we're going to read is the statement that Jesus makes as to what will happen at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation. He has brought us through now a description of the things that are going to happen from the falling away and the the deceit and the rumors that uh, will come to the Antichrist actually establishing himself in Jerusalem, all of the effort of the Christian people and the Jewish believers to, to flee from the oppression of the Antichrist. He talks about the fact in the 27th verse that his coming is going to be just as swift as lightning. Then he says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a mighty sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now stay with me as we take a look at these three verses. In order to begin, I want us to go to the book of Titus. which is the New Testament book right before Hebrews, or for Philemon and then Hebrews, a little book that has a statement to make right after 2 Timothy. You can find it. Titus chapter 2. A very dramatic statement at the conclusion of these three verses that I want to read. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Of course, that's talking about Jesus, and that he is the one that has appeared, 
he is the one that has taught us that we should deny ungodliness, that we should deny worldly lust, that we should deny all of those things and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this world. Then look at verse 13. Here's the reason why, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If there is anything that ought to excite a Christian, it ought to be the realization that Jesus is going to come back. And everything in our lives ought to be centered around that expectation that he's going to return and that he is, in fact, going to win. There is a tremendous battle in the world against the forces of Satan and those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And most of the time we lose. And he wins. There comes a conflict. Who's the stronger? Satan himself or us? And even though we believe in Christ and want to follow him, there comes those points of weakness in our life when he and Satan absolutely takes us and twists us and turns us around and makes us everything we don't want to be. We begin saying, how is it possible I cannot possibly succeed? I just can't do it. Right we are. We can't do it. The only thing that keeps us even striving towards being faithful and righteous and godly is that we have a Savior who died on the cross and we can't get that out of our minds and hearts. And it controls what we because of what Christ did for us, we've got to do something in return, even against what we want to do. Because in the end, in the long run, finally, Scripture promises us that the Lord is going to be victorious and we're going to be victorious with him. Because we're looking forward. We're not looking back. We're not being defeated by the world. We are realizing that there is going to be what Titus describes as a glorious appearing, a wonderful appearing, a magnificent presence. Just like lightning, there he will be. Because he's coming. He charges us to live like he's coming. Now, let's go on. We know all kinds of things about his first coming, that is when he was born. We have read and studied his miracles. We know about his crucifixion. We know it well, that is sealed in our minds. There's not a person in this congregation tonight that does not have a very vivid image of what you conceive that took place on the on Calvary. We know what took place. It has been 
see world in our minds and hearts very strongly. And we also know what took place on, on Easter Sunday, the resurrection. We've got our image of that. That's burned into my mind. I have a visual image in my mind as to what took place on that day, and I'm sure you do too. <coughs> but we have been less uh, capable of conceiving as to what's going to happen when he returns. And that's what he's trying to tell us. Now, look at verse 29. Immediately after the seven years of tremendous turmoil upon earth, the sun's going to be darkened, the moon's not going to give her light, and the stars are going to fall, and all of heaven is going to be shaken. Let's back up a moment. To make sure we understand that in God's timetable, the next event to take place is the rapture of the church. We're going to leave this world. If we're still alive, we're simply going to pick up from the earth and head toward heaven. And somewhere in that process, our earthly body is going to go through a transformation. And we're going to see Jesus coming, and with him will be every saint that the world has ever known. And we're going to meet in the air. That's the next event. If there is no other reason for believing in Jesus than that, that ought to cause us to want to be prepared. Because listen, if you miss the rapture, you're going through the tribulation. This the church is going to be taken out of the world, and with the church will go the Holy Spirit. He will no longer be in this world as we have known him to be since Jesus uh, said that he would come and did on the day of Pentecost. And from that time until the rapture of the church, there is this tremendous struggle between Satan and the Holy Spirit to control your life and mind. Tremendous struggle. See, we're just the battleground. It's the problem of Satan and our Lord in a tremendous struggle that will finally have the results will be in favor of our Lord. And during this last seven years that this world exists as we know it, Satan will be in total control. Will be doing whatever he wants to do, and the first thing that he wants to do, and the only thing he wants to do, is stamp out the person of Jesus Christ if he can. And in order to do that, he's going to lash out at believers. Multitudes during that seven-year period, many, many millions of people will believe, but because they have not believed at that point when the Lord returns, they will suffer the, the tribulation period. We're now at the end of that seven years of tribulation. And he says, that some things are going to 
start happening, and he says the sun is going to turn dark, and the moon's going to quit shining. Stars are going to start falling. This whole world is about to disintegrate. There has been no earthquake or hurricane or any devastation that man has ever known that will be likened unto the beginning of the deterioration that will take place at the end of this tribulation period. Not only is the earth going to be suffering so tremendously, but suddenly even heavenly bodies are going to begin to move out of orbit, disintegrate. Why? Because when you take the Holy Spirit out of this world, you have taken its control. God is going to allow Satan do all he wants, and things are going to begin to disrupt. There will be no order. You know, God is a God of order. Can you imagine if he were not a God of order, that this entire universe and all the millions and millions of uh, heavenly bodies that are, the, the, the uh, person who controls that pattern of movement in the universe has to be something beyond my imagination. I cannot even begin to imagine the men in the towers at the airports who can direct all of those airplanes and every once in a while they do that. Well, listen, God is directing all of the universe and the movement of all of these stars and heavenly bodies. And things are suddenly going to begin to distract. We have a lot of people who argue against order. We had a uh, preacher's meeting last Friday night down at Danville. We have one each month. Pastors and wives meet. We always have a discussion of some sort. And if you talk about disagreement, you ought to get 15 preachers together, even who are all Baptists, and expect that we're all one agree. And one of the discussions that we had Friday night was uh, about doing things certain ways. And one of the preachers said, I don't understand why a large church can't do it like we do in a little church. If anybody wants to test out, just get up and say whatever you want to say. Can you imagine a church of 5,000 members and give that opportunity to everybody? First of all, nobody hear anybody because of the tremendous size of the auditorium. Secondly, nobody would, I mean, everybody wouldn't have a chance. The opportunities would be gone forever for the choir to sing or the preacher to preach in a congregation of that size. You see, one of the fortunate things about a small group like this is that we can do things like that. One of the other preachers explains, or this one preacher, who couldn't understand why uh, things were more orderly was the whole point in a large church than in a small church. He said, we do those things in the large church in small groups. On Wednesday night Bible studies and, and youth groups and Sunday school classes, you do those things because you can't do them when you come together of several hundred or a thousand or two thousand people. In the North Parkersburg Baptist Church this morning, there would have been more than a thousand people in attendance. Can you imagine if they conducted their service like we do? 
God is the God of, of order. He is the author of it. Jesus was very orderly when he had those hundreds of people sit down in groups on the, on the uh, grass in order that they might feed them when he fed those 5,000 in other cases than the 3,000. But this order is going to disintegrate and things are going to be in chaos. I want to go back to Isaiah now. If you'll go with me, if you care to, to the 13th chapter. I want you to look at some verses. Isaiah chapter 13, beginning at verse 6. Here is a prophecy about this very same time we're talking about. How ye cry out, that's what it means, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the, might, from the Almighty. Destruction. It will come as destruction. That's what I want you to notice. Verse 7. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. People will be scared to death. Verse 8, they shall be afraid, pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth, that is one having a baby. And they shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, notice, cruel both with wrath and with fierce anger. God is a God of wrath when it comes down to the bottom line. He's a God of mercy. And he will extend to the very end the opportunity for people to be saved. But when his patience is exhausted, when he has reached the end of his rope, so to speak, then he is going to face this world with cruel wrath and fierce anger. And what's he going to do? To lay the land desolate. It's going to be destroyed. And he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Verse 4 or 10, for the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Verse 11, and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. We're talking about our God, and we call a God of love, has another side. He's going to strike out at the sin of this world in that kind of degree. Well, all right. Verse 13, Therefore I will shake the heavens. I'm telling you about what's going to happen in the heavens. I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place. The earth is going to go out of orbit. It won't be in its orbit. And the wrath of the Lord of hosts and the day of his fierce anger, anger. And it shall be as the chased roe that is a deer, a deer being chased, and as the sheep that no man taketh up. Then they shall every man turn to his own people and flee, everyone to his own land. And everyone that is found shall be thrust through, be killed, and everyone that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. Their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. Now, on and on that goes. That's enough for that. Go over to Isaiah 34. Just 
Turn over a few chapters. Verses 1 to 4. Come near, ye nations, to hear, and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear, and all that is therein, the world, and all things that come from it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them, he hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and their states shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. For all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, all the heavenly bodies, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all the hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth from off the vine, and as a fallen fig from the fig tree. Just some more of that same type of discussion. I'm going over to Joel. You'll need to go to the right. Go past Daniel a little further, and you'll find Joel. Joel in chapter 2, if you don't want to turn there, just listen to what, as I read it. Joel says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in, in my holy mountains. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Verse 10 through 11 of that same chapter. The earth shall quake before them, and heaven shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. The stars shall withdraw their shining. You see, I just read that from Matthew. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executed his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible who can abide it. Over to the 30th verse of that uh same chapter, chapter 2, verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And, I, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. You see, even to the very end, God is pleading for people to believe. All right. Haggai, which is right before Zechariah and Malachi, right at the end of the Old Testament. There's two verses. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to have to hurry. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Just more of the Old Testament prophecy that the Lord is going to bring this old earth into a final stage of tremendous shaking, not only of man himself, but also of the earth and also even of heavenly bodies. All right. Now look on there in Matthew again. Verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. What is that sign? Anybody want to offer a suggestion? What is the sign that's going to appear in the heavens? Would anybody say a cross? That seems to be the sign that we give to Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of discussion amongst 
theologians as to what that sign is. Some say it means that there's going to be a big cross here in the sky that everybody's going to see. Others say, no, it is not the cross at all. We are simply going to see the glory of God shining out of heaven down upon earth. And that's the one I subscribe to. God is going to show himself in his glory. And out of that glory is going to come the Son of Man. The description of Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus himself will appear. And what is going to happen when he appears? Every unsaved person on the earth is going to start crying, Oh my God, it's true. I didn't believe. And over in the book of Revelation in chapter 6, we have the words that all of the unsaved of the earth are going to try to hide. Verse 16. Well, let's look at verse 15. The kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondsman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. Isn't it amazing that the lost of this world are so bold today? They will go to my legislature and have, try to pass legislation that will allow abortion upon demand. They will try every kind of thing that is possible to get this world turned into a world of sin, and it's happening. Our televisions and our uh, movie theaters have been turned into nothing but sex and violence, and you know that it's happening. And we're trying to get more liberation all the time, a right of speech so that a person can do whatever he wants. And a girl can have an abortion without ever having it reported to her mother or father. All of these things are going to happen. And we think that the world has been uh, turned over to the control of Satan. And it certainly would appear that way. But the day is coming. You can write it down and black and white, there will be no question, the day is coming when every promoter of sin and vileness in this world will cry out to God and will run to hide in the mountains and beg the mountains to fall on them so that they can be hidden. Because they can't stand the light that's now being shined from God into this world. When they see their filthiness and vileness in relationship to the perfect one that is yet to come. All of the tribes, that is all of the nations, will mourn. Let me read you a few more verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Listen to it. You may know any more the time. Ye men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. 
Let me go to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and kings of the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given to, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom which shall not be destroyed. We're going to be serving a king whose kingdom will be permanent. That's the promise of the scripture. When he comes, you can be assured that his coming will be permanent. Revelation 1, 7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds and nations shall wail because of him. All of the peoples of the world will be afraid. All right, I'm going to go to one more verse in Zechariah, which is next to the last Old Testament book. Maybe this will lead you somewhere in a minute. Stay with me if you possibly can. Zechariah chapter 14. And verses 6 again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear or dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. What's he talking about? You remember the verse that we read sometimes, there shall be no night there? For the Lord God giveth him light. There will be no longer night and day upon earth. It will all be daylight everywhere, not night on one side of the earth and dark on the other side of the earth because the light's not going to come from the sun, the light is going to come from God himself. One day, uh, it will always be day. No light there. All right, let's go on to verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out of Jerusalem, half toward the former sea, and which is the Mediterranean, um, and half toward the Hindu sea, and summer and winter shall it be. I'm not going to comment on that. But verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord his name one. One Lord. We have a world in which there are many, many lords. And even sitting in this congregation tonight, there is a good possibility that there's more than one Lord represented here. We give our allegiance to somebody, some power, some authority. But there's only one Ephesians 4, 5 talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Listen, we may be Baptists and Methodists may be uh, another group and the Church of Christ another group and the Catholics another group and we can't seem to get along very well together. Heaven forbid that we should ever worship together. I mean, would we ever possibly think of going down to the Catholic Church and sitting down and worship with them, or possibly inviting them into our service? No, we wouldn't think of doing that. But the day is coming when we're, we're all worshiping the same Lord. 
We are going to be one. One united. There is a hymn that says, like a mighty army, he moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We're not divided. All one body, we. One in hope and doctrine. One in charity. All believers will be worshiping one God. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. But modern day man can't believe that we possibly could ever be united. And when we get to heaven, there must be a place in heaven for the Baptist, another place for the Catholics, if any of them ever get there. St. Peter was taking a guy down the street in heaven to show him his room in heaven. And he said, as he went by one room, now let's be quiet as we go by here. The man said, why? He said, because that's the Baptist room, and they think we're the only ones up here. One God, one faith, one baptism, we all get into the kingdom the same way. There is no other way. That is by belief in Jesus Christ. Back to Mac. I'm going to work my Bible out and turn them back and forth. Verse 30. The end of it. The Son of Man is coming in the clouds. Well, we've said that. But notice how he's coming. He is coming with power and with great glory. There's no more going to be riding into town on a donkey. He now is going to exert his rightful place as the king and assume that responsibility. Revelation 19 says that he is going to cast into the lake of fire those people who have not believed. Daniel 9.24 says that he is going to make an end of sin. I'm shortened that I want to read those, but I'm not. We ask ourselves, and some of you have asked it right here in this sanctuary, why is it that God just simply doesn't stop all of this sin and make us be good? Let me tell you, the day's going to come when he will. The day's going to come when he will no longer tolerate sin. He, as a parent, will let his children go so far, and then he's going to call the reins. I would let my children go to a point. Beyond that, brother, they paid the price. They went beyond. God is merciful in allowing us the privilege of serving him because we love him. To deny us that privilege would be unthinkable of God. Why do I love Jesus? Why do you? First of all, because he first loved us. And secondly, because he loved us, I love him. And since I love him, I want to serve him. 
There's no other choice for me. I couldn't think of doing it another way. But there are lots of people in this world who are shaking their fist at God and saying, I'll do my thing my way and you stay out of the picture. God said, all right, I'll let you go for a point. But the day's coming when I'm going to call the shots. And that day is yet to come, but it will come. going to come with all kinds of power and glory. And what's he going to do when he comes? He's going, in verse 31, he's going to send his angels out to gather up all his people all over everywhere. From one end of heaven to the other. God is going to reach out and say, angels, go get them and bring his people in. From everywhere. For a great celebration. You know, we've seen a little bit of God's glory in the Old Testament in the Garden of Eden. We saw a little bit of it when he led the Hebrew children through the wilderness to the pillar of fire. We saw a little of it at the Transfiguration when Jesus, with three of his favorite apostles, stood on the mountain there, and, and uh, Jesus was transfigured, and they got excited and had a tremendous mountaintop experience. We saw a little bit of it the baptism of Christ, when the Lord spoke unto the people and said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. We have experienced a little of it on the day of our own salvation, and a little bit from day to day. We experienced a little this morning, but the day is going to come when we are going to experience the total unraveling the unwrapping, the revelation of the complete glory of God. But see it all, not just little bits of it. And it'll happen at the end of the tribulation when the Lord appears. If I'm still alive at the rapture, I'll be gone. If I'm not alive at the rapture, I will be resurrected. I'm not going to experience these seven years. I hope you don't. But I tell you one thing. If you have not given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you ain't seen nothing yet about what it is to be miserable and happy and in pain and suffer if you must go through those seven years. But in the end, all believers, those who are saved during the tribulation period, and those who have been saved since the beginning of time, will all come together. And we will all see the complete glory of God. Let's pray. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.